Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt the Excited. I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts, Lord of the Rushed Flight, almost didn't make it back from Denver. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into a Storm of Swords Aria 4. Uh, Matt, I didn't have such a disaster as you did, but I did cut it quite close. Um, yeah, man, you're taking your quarterly trip out to Denver. I just talked about it, about, about some news last week that uh, you and I still have to talk about a little bit. We'll, we'll get we'll get to it here. We but, have some breaking uh, news, though. We do have some breaking news as well. Do we want to get? That's why I'm excited. Do we want to get to that? I mean, should I should I pull that up? Should I pull let's that just, information? Let's just pull up the bandaid right off. Let's do it. Okay, here we go, guys. This is it. I mean, we have been waiting. Okay. You guys who've been listening for a long time, okay? From George R. Martin on Twitter himself. He is here to announce, yes, you guessed it, a new book in the A Song of Ice and Fire universe. I'm reading it directly from George. We're excited. That's why I said I was excited. Jimmy's excited. George is excited to introduce you to the official Game of Thrones cookbook, man. (laughs) Woo! How many people just punch their dash right now? Oh, wow. <laughs> Is there already an official Game of Thrones cookbook called A Feast of Fire? Yeah, or A Feast <laughs> of something. I, I have it. I've done cooking episodes on it. Yes, but now there's an official one. I don't know what the difference is. It's made by the actually the same author who did that one. A Feast of Ice and Fire, I think is what it's called. I, 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 yeah. I mean, this is the book we've all been waiting for. Uh, you know, yeah. um, the book that was promised. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I was down with the Rise of Dragons. Everyone was like, oh, it's just rehashed. I was like, yeah, but it's a coffee book table. That's really cool. I think a new cookbook might be a bridge too far for for someone that has been, uh, you know, pretty supportive of the extracurricular A Song of Ice and Fire books. Well, we I know I might am I going to buy it? Possibly. I might ask for it for Christmas because that's just an easy gift for like, you know, in-laws. Like, what do you yeah. want? I'm like, I'd give me the Game of Thrones. Co- Actually, they'll probably get it for me anyways because they always try to get me something that's yeah. Game of Thrones. I have to go look. I think it's probably going to be the same one I already have. Bro, if it's the same one. I don't know. Because all the, I will say all of the, now this, so I guess the other one is actually more based on the books. This might be based on the show because it is kind of the, the cookbook I have is actually kind of cool because it pulls passages directly from uh, the books. And it's like, oh, John, it's like, talks about like Sans eating lemon cakes. Like there's a, you know, chapter or like they talk about like breakfast at Castle Black and stuff like that. So it's pulled directly from the books. And then it is actually all based on the um like at like medieval recipes so you have to like it talks about like making like medieval flour and then you like you would use that flour to create the things and the woman who's done it um chelsea monroe cassie i think is or is it the Cass- same lady Cassilette? it's the same lady she actually has done some pretty cool cookbooks because i think she's done a bunch of other official ones i think she did like one for like the witcher and um, I know because I've looked up some other ones, and I think that's kind of what she does. She actually like retweeted me back in the day when we first did when I first got it, and then Teresa actually cooked them, uh, and we did some of those, and she like retweeted me back in the day. So yeah, I should reach out to her and be like, "Hey, would you be down to come on and we could talk about this cookbook?" We could, yeah. it will invite her. Well, I mean, she might hey, listen, answer, but I'll, you know. I'll, the fact that there's a sequel, 
I mean, exactly. that's amazing. I, I'm down. If you want to bring her on, we can actually talk about it. Maybe she's a fan of the books. That would be cool. Yeah. So, you know, George didn't tag her in this post. I mean, that's kind of rude. I don't know if he knows how that works. Yeah, it might be one, might be one of his minions. So, yeah. Uh, but I should say, in talking about new A Song of Ice and Fire books, today is November 1st as we're recording this, which puts Jimmy's official prediction on the countdown timer. We're on the Jimmy clock. Jimmy says 2020, November 2024. Matt, I got, I got bad. We're news. one year away. I think it's going to be a reoccurring segment. <laughs> like the countdown timer's kicking in, Jimmy. How, how do you feel? <laughs> Uh, if you would have asked me two weeks ago, I would have said, I'm feeling good. We got this. Uh, unfortunately, I heard some words out of George's mouth that I don't like to hear. And Which are what? he did a uh, kind of an interview where he was interviewing Cassandra Clare, who was famous from a Harry Potter fan fiction. Then she did, I think, the Mortal Instruments is her series. And she has a new adult fantasy series. She had always delved into YA. And George was interviewing her for her new book on stage and i don't know if you saw the headlines where it says yes i'm working on the win wins a winner you don't have to pester me about it this is actually from that interview but the part that was not quoted by these places that use that headline is she later in the conversation says talking about the sequel and she said oh it might take four or five years or something along those lines i i'm paraphrasing her part but she you know just talked about the sequel and how it might take a little bit longer and he said it'll probably still come out before the winds of winter. Oh, and I was like a joker. It's I, I listened to the clip. He <laughs> sounded defeated, Matt. He sounded defeated. <sighs> and I'm not going to lie to you. 90% of the wind went out of my sails. I was like, wow, son of a bitch. Like it's not coming out ever. It's over. Well, I'm still I'm still holding out. Listen, okay. hey, I made the prediction. The I've been riding that prediction since 2018, I think. So you want to know why? I'm not let, abandoning it. Let me but. let me let me tell you why. I, while I'm feeling good about it, okay. As we all know, the winds of winter hinges entirely upon George's obsession with the New York football teams, the New York Jets, and the New York Giants. Okay, now the New York Giants suck, and they're going to continue to suck for the rest of this year, but. The New York Jets. Let's talk about them. No, they suck. Here, okay. they suck. No, let me tell you. The New York Jets are good. All right. Because, <laughs> you know, you get in there and you're thinking, this is it, man. Here we go. I mean, the, this season for the New York Jets might actually be, you know, the story of the of wins of winter. Because, look, it's like you're riding high. Okay. Game of Thrones is coming. At, you know, back in the day, Games of Thrones was coming out. And George is like, I'm feeling it. And all, all these Things are going great. It's like, just like the Jets, they got Aaron Rodgers this year, right? Man, we're pumped. We're thinking they're going to win the Super Bowl. And then three, three plays in, Aaron Rodgers tears his Achilles. Zach Wilson has to step in. Zach Wilson's doing okay, you know, a little rocky here and there, but he has moments, okay? He's, he's bad. Just like us. There's he's moments There's moments of hope. George is gives there? us blog posts, and it's like, maybe he's making progress. Okay, but in the back is Aaron Rodgers, and we see him out on the field, and he's he's beating medical experts. They're saying you can't you can't be walking after you've had an Achilles injury, but he's out there, and he's slinging it. Okay, he's putting weight on it now. And you know, one of the number one things that and he's for and he's gonna, yeah, people coming back too soon. <laughs> well, he's gonna come back, and the Jets might win the Super Bowl this year. Get okay, out. all the all the Jets have to do is hold out, just like us. We're holding out for hope. 
George is holding out for Aaron and we're holding out for George. Okay? That's why we did all those icebergs, folks, so we could slow down the reread because we don't want to finish this. Seriously. Jeez. <laughs> oh, uh, when he said that on stage, dude, I almost threw up. Because <laughs> uh, I, yeah. I was thinking about how it was about it's about a year out from yeah, you know, the prediction. Um I'm not feeling great, but we're sticking to it. I'm not going to move the goalposts. I'm gonna, it's I'm been a it's here. been a good while since he gave us any sort of like, oh, I finished some chapters, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So, yeah, but hey, they finished a cookbook. So I was reading an old blog post from him from 2016 where he made it sound like he was like chugging Done. along, like, oh, it's not going to come out before season six, but dang, we're close. And now I'm like, oh, <laughs> shit. <laughs> But hey, yeah. but nonetheless, we carry the banners. We continue the reread and we continue to uh, carry on into the night with the Lord of Light blessing us because, Matt, I don't know if you remember this, but this show kept the uh, kept the light going whenever season eight absolutely, you know, sucked and everyone was giving up and saying it wasn't relevant anymore. And we carried the banners all the way to House of the Dragon and then House of the Dragon comes. All of a sudden, we have hundreds of thousands of people coming back, downloading the podcast. You know, hey, whoa, what is going on? This stuff's actually pretty good. And damn it, we're going to carry these banners until the Winds of Winter comes out as well. Yeah, well, hey, let's talk about some other news here, Jimmy. Let's okay. carrying these banners and keeping the hype train rolling. Okay. Yes. So I talked about this last week. You were gone, so we didn't we didn't really have a chance to talk about it a little bit here. So this is a casting call. Okay, so this is a casting call. Is this from like the casting couch? Oh, I don't know about that, but uh, this is Lucy Bevan Casting, which is a casting agency, and they've done stuff like Barbie, The Batman, um, Belfast. I'm unfamiliar unfamiliar with that, but it says they're looking for an HBO television series. This is so we know it's an HBO show. It doesn't. We don't know for sure that it's anything to do with Game of Thrones or Song of Ice and Fire. But they're looking for two actors. One is a boy, aged nine to ten. Whose description is physically small. The character is wise beyond his years, confident and witty. He has a neutral English accent and is white with blue slash green eyes and pale skin. Must be under four foot six and at least nine by March 2024 for licensing. Doesn't mean filming or anything, but yep, that's so they would at least begin licensing and scripting and all that stuff. The next one is a soldier, right? Very tall and physically strong. Must be humble. Uh, and thoughtful must be at least six foot four. So I'm out. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm listen. I just I'm, need I'm a little, little lift and I'm there little lift. Right. So anyway, it says filming will take place in 2024 and that's really all they've got on it. So the only thing we know is an HBO, it's an HBO show. These are the castings. I mean, I think it's pretty obvious that it's going to be a night of the seven kingdoms since HBO has officially announced that show being in production. I'm kind of surprised how fast they hit the ground running and i think it might be because like every studio is in panic mode right now and they're just like yeah. whatever we had on the docket like green light it let's go we're gonna have a big gap in content yeah i think you're gonna see studios um at least on the money side they're gonna have to be dumping a lot more money to get a lot of the stuff like up and running mm -hmm. fast mm -hmm. i wonder if it's also gonna cause a kind of a pile up in the in the pipeline of uh, cgi effects because we saw that after covid like when everything was reshooting yeah. and then we saw this big backlog and saw a lot I of shoddy so. effects and some big budget stuff that made people you know question whether or not even remember house of the dragon we were seeing some of the teasers were like oh how good is that cgi yeah. really and then 
it ended up being amazing. Yeah. So, well, some people still argue that it's not as good as the original show. I don't know. I don't know. I, the only thing I will say when it comes to CG, at least I think there's a big difference between Warner Brothers and Disney, like a huge difference. Like it because Disney does so much CG heavy shows and movies. Warner Brothers, as far as I mean, obviously, Game of Thrones is CG heavy. But if you look at a lot of the other stuff they do outside of like DC, which they don't do as much like DC stuff as Marvel does, they're you know, a lot of their movie, a lot of, they do like big movies like Barbie and, you know, doing, I guess those are like CG heavy, but it's not like the con the amount of content Warner brothers puts out compared to like Disney. Like Disney has like a, every month there is a star Wars show or a Marvel show or something. And that's besides movies. I mean, I think, I think Marvel probably has way more CG um, in their stuff. So I feel like maybe Warner brothers benefits from that because they don't have they don't have as much cg heavy work like disney does yeah that definitely could be it i i would be curious to know because i know a lot of that stuff's not done in-house there there's contractors mm -hmm. and i wonder if they use the same contractors like i don't and i don't know enough about cgi that's why i never comment on it like people are like that looked bad and i'm like i have no idea if it actually looked bad right or not. um so, but i'd be curious and i'm i'm, I'm just wondering what the process is going to look like are we getting get something expedited because me and you have talked at length about how we think that Duncan Egg will probably come on maybe the last season of House of the Dragon or something. But is there a possibility now <clears throat> with it being a smaller scale show that we see a season one maybe in like two years, three years? Well, let's say they film in 2024. And let's just say, for example, we'll say March, because I think that's when like House of the Dragon and stuff film. We'll just say, for example, because if you think about it, you think about like the weather, you're going to it's going to need to be kind of like springtime like yeah. when you're you know just let's just for that first season let's just for example so if you start filming in march by the time you're done we probably won't see that until probably the following early year, early 2025 yeah that's a great time to, to put things out and even better because, you know, if because house of the we, dragon is ending you know because house yeah because house of the dragon house of the dragon has they're still filming season two right now. No, they wrapped. I think I thought that. Yeah, I think, I might I, be yeah you're right. No, they. I think like yeah, but they, they'll have. They said they still might have like reshoots and stuff like that. But it's gonna air it like next summer, 2024. Yeah, 2024. Yeah. So then they're filming this. So then we would see that 2025. And George did see. I did. There was an interview. Mm -hmm. I, was, I think maybe it was part of that same one. Or I saw it was on IGN, an article talking about like he, he is planning on building out this Westeros universe. Um, like a Star Wars or a Marvel or something like that, but he doesn't want it to be near. He wants it to be much smaller, like yes. in terms of the content release schedule. Yeah, I saw people, you know, hearing that and being like, oh, God, like we're fatigued with Marvel. Star Wars is up and down. Uh, but he also, you know, of course, they like one project a year. Yes. Is, or like at most two. Yeah, he is saying that he just wants he, he wants to tell the stories that are worth telling. Not that they're going to invent some brand new thing and, and maybe they will once he's gone, but like, you know, people left off that part of the headline because people were like up in arms, like we don't want another right. Marvel. And it's like, he doesn't mean that he's just saying that he would like to expand things, but only tell the stories that are really worth telling uh, Duncan egg being obvious. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so, yeah, I'm, I'm super excited for this, the show. I think it's going to be, I one also think, I mean, unless there's some other show about, you know, soldier. It doesn't say this is a medieval show. I mean, it could be a story about a boy and a modern age soldier. For all we know, that it's you know going to be. We we have no idea. But 
Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't, you know, I mean, it could be a show about anything, but but it, it seems pretty likely that it's going to be Duncan Egg. Yeah, yeah. It, and hey, it I mean, certainly fits people... the description. And this is like a you know a legit casting agency. I mean, they did casting for you know Barbie and the Batman. So I mean, it's you know it's hmm. pretty pretty legit. And this was on their page, so they are posting hey, hey, we are looking for characters to be in this HBO show. Better than the casting I've dealt with. Every time I go to one of those castings, I feel really uncomfortable and they tell me I'm going to be a movie star and then they never call me back. Well, yes, I don't know. What to, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> so real quick here, Jimmy, On aside from that, um, it says for soldier, any ethnicity. So I talked about this a little bit in my reaction last week. I think this is actually because if you look at while there are there's official fan art of Dunk, all we know is that he's from Fleet Bottom. So like a lot obviously a lot of the fan art does showcase Dunk as like white, but I think this is you could like they're going to go with whoever's the best actor, which in that set is is good. But at the same time, man, you could play around with that a lot. Oh yeah, I don't. I don't think it would matter at all. What is no, I actually I actually think it could be cool if they did go with, you know, it's dunk in a lot of the pictures has sort of a white tan complexion. Let's say you go with somebody who is like black. Well, I don't Okay, now we get a little bit more about, hey, maybe, you know, it could be George's way of saying actually dunk was born somewhere where we weren't expecting it. Yeah, definitely. We don't know. Like, so in a way, in some way, you know, like, let's say dunk the, the person. I'm not saying they're going to hire Pedro Pascal, obviously, but like you go with something <laughs> like. You know, it's and then it's like, oh, well, maybe Dunk is actually more Dornish than we thought. You know, mm -hmm. so I think I think you could play around with like that. It could be kind of cool. Yeah, th I don't think there'd be any problems. The only flag I could see people throwing up and crying about is that Brienne of Tarth is supposed to be his descendant and she has a fairly uh, okay. uh, pale complexion. But uh, that, that's, yeah, a good, I, that's a good. No, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. But um, that doesn't mean that she couldn't be. You know what I'm saying? Like exactly, right. a couple uh, generations down or whatever descendants. And then right. you have other people fornicating with uh, people from different regions and whatever. And then you end up looking much different. And that that's not unrealistic. So uh, I, yeah. I wouldn't have any problem. I could see, you know, dummies having an issue. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, I, I guess in that sense, I could see you could they could just say, well, the show version of Duncan the Tall might not be her like great, great, great. Yeah. And also, we're never going to get that. That that's a us thing right that's uh the fans have decided and george has hinted and said it and yeah well, yeah george just said somebody but he's never specifically said it's yeah it's never going to be confirmed in the books and it wasn't confirmed in the show obviously so um I, yeah i i don't think it's a big deal but i i'm preparing for the people to tweet or x about whatever it is called now I know, um, that, that will be upset about said thing but i i think it's a great opportunity um to spice it up a little bit and uh, i'm looking forward to it I, I really hope they cast someone that just has that dunk energy though right. when you read dunk the tall he is so special and i hope that whoever they end up casting for him can, can deliver on that yeah there's not even there's not even that many actors i can think of right now that i would be like oh that person would be like perfect for this tim especially because they're tim dunk <laughs> um no because you know you're looking for somebody 18 to 25 so you don't want like a slightly older actor actually the person who comes to mind if i were just cat if you were not including anything who i think could be a good dunk the tall he's a little bit too too he's too old for the role he did actually have play a character in game of thrones 
is who's the guy who played let me pull him up here the guy who played um sam's brother he was an umbrella Bro, uh, i'm never gonna umbrella academy i'm never gonna remember this name one thing i'm gonna tell you now though if they hire some beautiful super pole thin i'm gonna be over it i want a so? thick chested grizzled dude like not big beard but just like you know what i mean a little rough around the edges yeah i that's who i would cast if i were cast anybody i would cast tom hopper that's my guy let me pull him. i would he, he, he was uh about? he was um you know he was sam's brother he was dick and tarly remember and he's like i'll get killed too by Daenerys. but he was great in umbrella academy and i was like oh he's tall big dude and i could see him playing that that role well what about but Danny he's, DeVito? He's too old. I'm down for Danny DeVito in any Danny DeVito should play um <laughs> he could play Lady Rowan Weber. No, he could play just Danny I mean, DeVito we should get Danny DeVito in uh Game of Thrones. Please. I mean in, in the in the Song of Ice and Fire universe. He could play uh he could play the Woods Witch. We're gonna the ghost of High Heart we're gonna talk about right now today. I would be thrilled. <laughs> But yeah, I don't know. And then they're going to have to cast a Tanzel too tall and a bunch of Targaryens and a Baylor Breakspear and a Blood Raven. That's the the most interesting one. Yeah, Blood Raven's going to matter a whole bunch. I mean, like any George thing, you start to think, you know, this is a small short story, little novella. But then you think about it more and you're like, dang, he flushed out a lot of characters in that thing, didn't he? In a hundred and something pages. And and that's why we love it uh, and can get so immersed in it. So the the casting... We'll take some time. Yeah. Okay. All right. With that, uh, I think that's all for the news. So let's dive into today's chapter, which is a doozy. Uh, mm-hmm. One of the most important chapters and probably most talked about chapters in all of the Song of Ice and Fire. This is the sort of Ghost of High Heart chapter. So the outlaws first visit Lord Lyman Leicester and then the Lady of Leaves in search of word on Lord Beric Darien's whereabouts. But none have seen him, only hearing rumors that he was dead, hanged once, by killed by Vargo Ho, Armory Lorch, and twice by Greg Gain. Arya heard similar rumors at Harrenhal, but Lem and Tom know that Beric is still alive. The outlaws plan to ransom Arya at River Run after they meet up with Beric and Thoros of Mir. They arrive at High Heart an ancient hill sacred to the children of the forest. 31 mighty weirwoods had stood atop the hill, but only their stumps remained after the Andals chopped them down. Arya can feel the power of the place. An old dwarf woman speaks to private, uh, speaks in private to Lem, Tom, and Greenbeard. But Arya overhears the conversation. The woman has dreams with while sleeping among the weirwood stumps and tells them she had dreamed of a shadow with a burning heart killing a golden stag, a man without a face waiting on a swayed bridge on his shoulder perched a drowned crow with seaweed hanging from its wings and of a raging river and a woman that was a fish dead with red tears on her cheeks. But when her eyes did open, I woke from terror. Then at Acorn Hall, Lady Smallwood informs them that Thoros had been through recently and that uh, the Karstark men were searching for the Kingslayer. Arya and Gendry go off to the smithy, um, and the former apprentice explains that Thoros was a charlatan using regular swords, regular swords and wildfire to make his flaming sword. 
After getting in a playful fight with Gendry, Arya tears a dress given to her by Lady Smallwood. As the Brotherhood is getting ready to leave, Lady Smallwood gives Arya clothes that had belonged to her now-deceased son. Embarrassed by her action, Arya apologizes to Lady Smallwood before leaving. Yeah, I really like this scene at the end of this chapter. I think it does a lot for Arya because... Arya can sometimes be a little bullheaded and make rash decisions and, and be kind of rude to people uh, that may, maybe don't deserve it. I think sometimes she even acts a little bit noble born, even though she doesn't realize it. Uh, and I think that this is a nice sentimental moment. Uh, one, it's an act of kindness, which are few and far between in this land, especially right now during the war. But it's also time for Arya to reflect that she's not the only person that has lost people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, agreed. Um, and like you said, uh, and on that real quick, I know that th this chapter often does just talk about the ghost of high art, but like you said, there is actually a lot of other substance in this chapter outside of that. Um, mm -hmm. so I think actually maybe we should just go ahead and start with the ghost of high heart stuff, uh, yeah. because that's the main thing everyone wants. And then we can talk about it afterwards. So this is probably one of the most biggest sort of prophetic chapters in all of a song and ice fire i'd put it right up there with brand three and um any of the stuff with Danny. exactly so you know remember this is a reread so we still have to think about where we're at currently so some of these things have happened some if you're reading this for the first time you know or watching or whatever hasn't happened yet right or you know any of the patched face stuff you can put up there too so here we go she says Besides the embers of their, let me, I'll pull it up in the screen here too. Um, one second, let me add this to the screen. Okay. So beside the embers of their campfire, she saw Tom, Lemon, and Greenbeard talking to a tiny little woman a foot shorter than Arya and older than old Nan. So that in our first thing should tell us, right? That this woman is crazy old right yes. because i would say the old nan is probably at least the way she is described appears to be probably as old as like maester aemon yeah or walter frey like that right old. that yeah certainly that like that's the description we get i mean you know ned starks talks about old nan he talks about like he she was here for some brandon that wasn't my brother so it's like a brandon you know before and before so the ghost of high heart could be like 150. At, Which is know, crazy to think about. I think she's even older personally. She could be. I think she's a children of the forest, a child of the forest. Could, well, well, maybe. And that's why they look like that. Mm -hmm. And they call her a woods witch and they just don't know exactly what it is. And yeah, and it comes from the dan a dance of dragons. Barristan and Danny have this conversation and he's talking all about uh, Jaharis the second and the arranged marriage. And then um, they end up talking about Jenny of Oldstones, which Jenny of Oldstones has this friend who everyone calls a dwarf, but she Jenny of Oldstones claims she was one of the children of the forest. And a lot of people think that that person died at the tragedy of Summerhall, but we see her right, right here, right now. <clears throat> right. Okay. So Jenny of Oldstones says that I thought Jenny of Oldstones said she was a descendant of the children of the forest. Well, it might be the fact of a descendant. I might be recalling it incorrectly, um, but even if she's a descendant, it would make a lot of sense if you think about it. all these chopped down weirwoods and she wants to stay around them kind of connected to that network, even though they've been chopped down, you know what I mean? And having these dreams that have like kind of pieced together visions, not full blown knowledge. Hold on. I think yeah, all of it's really important. Keep going for a second. I just I need to I need to pull something up here. 
because uh, what you said might have just like blown my mind here. Uh... <laughs> well, Jenny Voldstones uh, is is one of those things, and this is one of the things that I, I I love about George's writing is that Jenny Voldstones could very much be like a throwaway line to make you feel like you're in the world. No, we have Jenny Voldstones legend and a song and la 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 la. When in reality, it actually is three degrees away from major events such as the tragedy of uh, you know. Um, Summer Hall, which we know connects to the Duncan Egg story, which also might connect back to Aegon's prophecy. So this little thing that could be just a dash of world building or a random song actually has a lot of ties to the central plot. And it will never be on the nose acknowledged by George, but it will just be subtly there for us to to catch on reread. OK, no, you're OK. No, you're correct. She does believe her to be a a children of the a, forest a children of the forest because i was thinking hold on a second a descendant of the children of the forest. a children a child well i know <laughs> I, mean? I, like, I, I don't know i don't know how you well, say it the, the thing i was thinking about i was like hold on a second for her to be a descendant of the of the children of the forest that means that the children of the forest at some point could have breeded with humans and i was like that would totally explain green dreams to me because that would like explain oh, that bloodline but i don't good. know that's I don't know that they can't because remember, if you think back to we read it, the if you go back to the um, the world of ice and fire, when it talks about the dawn age, it is I'll grab the it's, book. It's it, a big hand wave. <laughs> well, it is, but it also is real weird because they talk about like these green seers. Mm -hmm. But it, the way that George, the way that it cuts like immediately to it, it's it's confusing to, to sort of read it because you're like, well, hold on a second. Are these green seers children of the forest? Are these these green seers were just people like, yes, it's like, are they are they are the children and the green seers connected? Because in theory, it's like, OK, I could see that. I could see how like, but it's never explained if like they do get green sight by being somewhat connected to the children of the forest who seem like they're the ones that can use the weirwoods and everything, which is also the same thing that the green seers can. So, and a lot of the green seers are in the North who were there around the children of the forest between the, the, the first men. Right. So we're talking about people who are geographically closer to the children of the forest than the people from like, let's say Dorn. Now we can get into another whole thing is green seeing the same as dragon dreams. We're not really sure. I think dragon right. dreams are the kind of their own thing, but I think I think you're onto something. And remember, me and you have actually talked about what if a white and a human got together, and that explains some of the oddities that we see in people that belong up in the north. And I'm under the impression that the whites have their own culture, and that they are not like a. It's not going to come down to a us versus them, but coming to an understanding of who the others actually are. And the children of the forest have been around, and we know they existed. So for them to, uh, you know. Uh, get it on uh, for lack of a better term and, and have some offspring that could create something like this is definitely feasible in this universe. Yeah. You know, and now I had to go grab the, I had to go grab the book here because now I'm now, now I'm thinking about something totally different here because, okay. So it says in the book, right. And when it talks about the green men, right. So it says whether the green men still survive on their aisle, talking about the Isle of faces, is not clear, although there are occasional accounts of some foolhardy young river lord taking a boat there, right? So if you look at the picture that it has here, I don't know if my camera can, can pull it up. If I was on my if I was on my other computer, I could um, yeah, you can see it. You can see it. Okay. Um, I guess I should probably switch over here to, to this. Um 
Actually, I do have it on this computer. I think maybe. Um, so if you look at this picture, it's kind of a, with the lighting. You, you can't see it. Yeah, um, for the audio people, it, it's a picture of those river lords coming up and meeting. Right. It's on like page. It's on page eight of, of a world of ice and fire. So, but yeah, you see these people going up and talking to these people. They kind of look like dwarfs. Not like dwarfs, but like almost like halflings, I guess, like hot hobbits. I get right. Uh, you know what I mean? Like they look, they they don't, they don't, they look like small humans. I'm wondering, Jimmy, do is it possible that the children of the forest did breed at some point with humans and they were able to create this half race? And that might explain where the power of the green site came from in terms of because it's like how do some humans because like the andals and the first men are just humans they're different like you yes. know groups of humans like you would have like europeans versus you know south people from south america going into north america as opposed to like you know different like races like you know different like like yeah. human like giants are different than humans you know what i mean like so I'm wondering if there's anything because we do we've heard a lot of people talk about like breeding with giants. Yeah, because Tormund. I mean, Tormund is supposed to be part well, of that, right? Right. But you know, we see some of those people they talk about like humans that might have some giants' blood in them. You know, they might just be saying it because they're really tall and it's like a legend or something. But right. a lot of legends come from myth, which comes from facts, you know, somehow. So if the children were able to actually breed with these like humans or something like that at some point you know something like that that might explain the green site so jenny's saying that she is a children of the forest if she were actually a, ch a child of the forest i mean when we see leaf she looks very it's like pretty obvious she's not human yeah i would say i've never met a human that looks like that except for you know danny devito right so exactly yeah exactly so <laughs> You know, I guess you know what I'm saying. So it seems yeah. like maybe she's like an offshoot of that or something, which could which could explain like where that power of green sight comes from. Because yeah, she and, obviously has it. And the ghost of Highheart is also uh, described as a dwarf because there's rumors that Tyrion, after he flees after his father's death, has went and become um, kind of like a a hob hobbled dwarf that's in a haunted forest on a haunted hill or some madness. So there's a lot of there's a lot of attention thrown around by George about her stature and then where she has come from, but she has an extremely long life. I would say a damn near unnaturally long life for a human being. And that's where I think it's interesting. And she happens to just be housed around these 31 werewoods that have been cut down their stumps. Yeah. So I'll put, that, I'll put this away. So, I mean, maybe it, maybe she is actually a children of the forest and she's just and they just think she's like some super, super old woman. But even the way she's described doesn't seem like the children we've seen because Leaf, you know, seems like a kind of like young athletic girl. Right. Yeah. So and she might be and she's at least old enough to know or have been present when like the White Walkers were there. That, you know, that seems different than what this woman is. Yes. Th this woman is, is also pretty far South, right? Like right. this isn't, this isn't up near the wall or, or even near Winterfell at this point. So uh, children of the forest in this day and age, or even in the next last 500 years in Westeros being this South, 
I don't think so. I don't think I, I think maybe being a descendant or being a quarter of uh, children of the for child of the forest. I, I don't know how we're supposed to say that, folks. So I'm the future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Sorry, I keep bumbling over those words, but... Yeah, if somebody you're describing, they are a... Yeah, it's like the title is... children of the forest. Yes, that's like what the people of them are called. So, I don't know. We'll say child of the forest. I think that this could have legs. Yeah, see, I'm looking at Maggie of the Frog here, too, because she's somebody who's kind of someone. Now, in the show, they cast uh, that cast. What's her name? Um, she, she's in The Witcher, where she's like the queen and, and the witcher. So they did not go the direction that she is described in the books, which is sort of similar to the Ghost of I Heart. You know, a squat, warty, crusted, yellow-eyed woman with no teeth, teeth and pale green jowls uh right i mean which is totally you know sort sort of different but um you know like when you think about like the chronic men and like the you know like the frogs i mean helen reed we know goes to the isle of faces where are there still mm -hmm. green men there i mean he's the uh, frogs are green are they like the same thing i mean he goes there and trains and and, and what does that mean <laughs> like exactly. training what <laughs> exactly so doing a so, what are we doing? Yeah, I don't, yeah, he's doing kettlebell swings over there. But <laughs> he learns chronic man magic, right? Which could just be like green sight, green dreams, because we know Jojen has it. Is there a chance that Howland Raid is the liver king of Westeros? He might be a child of the forest <laughs> descendant or the sort of sort of offshoot, or maybe well, I love the idea. The I green love the men idea. are. Yeah, yeah, I think so, this is, anyway, this is very cool. So what it could do is it could explain some of the stuff about Maggie the Frog. And I'll get, I'll get or, or old Nan, excuse, or, old Nan, all of them. <laughs> Jeez, Christmas is sending me in all sorts of places here. The ghost of high heart, right? So mm -hmm. all stooped and wrinkled and leaning on her gnarled black cane, her hair was white and was her, her white hair was so long. It came almost to the ground. When the wind gusted, it blew, uh, it blew about her head in a fine cloud. Her flesh was whiter than the color of milk and it seemed to Arya that her eyes were red though it was hard to tell from the bushes the old gods stir and will not let me sleep she heard the woman say i dreamt i saw a shadow with a burning heart butchering a golden stag i i dreamt of a man without a face waiting on a bridge that swayed and swung on his shoulder perched a drowned crow with seaweed hanging from his wings. I dreamt of a roaring river and a woman that was a fish. Dead she drifted with red tears on her cheeks. But when her eyes did open, oh, I woke from terror. All this I dreamt and more. You know, do you have gifts for me to pay for my dreams? So right now, some of these things haven't happened yet. Yes. I dreamt I saw a shadow with a burning heart butchering a golden stag. I, okay, seen that. Red that Renly. I dreamt of a man without a face waiting on a bridge that swayed and swung. On his shoulder perched a drowned crow with seaweed hanging from his wings. 
Haven't seen that yet. Euron and Balon. I dreamt of a roaring river with a woman that was a fish. Dead, she drifted with red tears on her cheeks. But when her eyes did open, oh, I woke from terror. That's the Red Wedding. And again, because we're reading this, you know, chapter by chapter, um, man, the Red Wedding is mentioned, you know, hinted at in like every chapter of the past like six chapters. Yeah, it definitely is. And uh, it, it seems so obvious here. Um, but it, it, it's even more so than just a Red Wedding. It's actually very similar or not similar, but it's, it's exactly how Catelyn will be found. Yeah. And then breathe life into by Beric Dondarrion, which is interesting because this chapter is coupled with the rumor that Beric Dondarrion again is somewhat of a uh, living legend or an unliving legend in some ways. So it, these things are tightly coupled and we know that Beric is going to give her the breath of life. Yeah. And I'm going to pull up, um, see if I can get it pulled up here too. Uh, patch face his prophecy um comes up like the beginning of clash of kings am i correct in that right yes. isn't it like the, isn't it the yes. opening where hit where where his 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 comes so you know and then a lot of that stuff doesn't happen until like way later in the you know in the in the in the in the, in the book here some of this stuff we're gonna see i don't i don't think the balen Greyjoy thing happened it doesn't happen for a while well, in the show, they push it back way further. Way further. Uh, Balon, I, I don't remember exactly when the Balon stuff happens. I want to say it might be at the end of this book. I think so. I'm pretty sure. Or maybe it's it's whenever the all of the um, whenever everything goes down with the King's Moot. So that, that, that could be later on. I can't remember exactly where it is in the books. Yeah, I don't think he, Balon Greyjoy dies at the end. Yeah, Balon Greyjoy dies like Davos chapter 54. So we're about halfway there in this book. So it's, 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 it's still a while. Yeah. Um, Cause this is interesting. I will say, because most of the prophecies have come at the beginning of books. This one, I mean, this is a big book, so it's still like in the first third, but most of them come within like the first couple chapters. This is a little more towards the middle. Yeah. And Re, kind of reverbs, right? In, in 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 some ways, where we've seen the beginning of the Red Wedding be foreshadowed, right? Where the Freys are leaving Harrenhal back all the way back in Clash of Kings, and that is the beginning of the rumblings. But the very end point is, is when Catelyn Stark gets pulled out of that river, and then this is the first time that we've had something in the aftermath be predicted, even further in the future. It also makes you wonder. That if certain things have to happen, like there's some sort of think about this, there's some sort of conscious awareness about the werewoods or the old gods to where certain decisions have to be made for them to then predict these events. Right. So maybe the reason why this is being spoken now is because of a lot of the stuff that's just happened in pre previous chapters. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like if Rob mm -hmm. had done differently, maybe the ghost of Heart has a totally different story. Yeah. Dream. Yeah, different story dreams. Exactly. Yeah. So it and in that way, you can kind of play with the fact that there might still be free will uh within this universe. And also, by the way, a lot of the prophecies end up being uh mountains out of molehills, like Sansa's giant and Winterfell uh prophecy, which we end up seeing is just Robin knocking over her snow castle. So this is one of the times that this is spot on, and there's yeah. something special here. 
You know what else is we're also in this. I just I went I went back and looked a few chapters. This is if you think about like stretches of things like we're talking about the red wedding is hinted at more and more and more. Mm-hmm. This stretch right here because the next chapter is a Daenerys chapter where Jorah talks a little bit about like Rhaegar, yeah, uh, Targaryen. Yeah, this stretch is like a pretty heavy stretch of magic. So just going back just a few chapters, we have Samwell one, right? Uh, where Sam kills a White Sam Walker. Kills a White Walker. Then we have Tyrion three. Not really a whole lot of magic in that. That's actually pretty, you know, political. No, but we get the council where her, where his father is extremely confident that you know, we're going to be happen. fine. Yeah, I mean, he's hinting, yeah. he's hinting towards it. So then we get to a Catelyn chapter, and remember in that chapter, Catelyn—that's like when Rob comes back, right? And she's talking about like keep your wolf close, man. So a little more kind of magic there. Then Jamie, not a lot. That last Arya chapter, this is where we're talking about the Brotherhood Without Banners and stuff like that. And then, uh, well, this is the, sorry, this is the chapter we're in. Obviously, it goes to High Heart, too. And then we get to that Daenerys chapter. So a lot of magic is going on in this sort of stretch here, which is also kind of interesting because this, here we go, Green Dreams and stuff like that. This might be the most magical book, Storm of Swords. Yeah, I think, you know, I think that George does a really nice job of gradually escalating the magic. Uh, because this is a world that magic had left and then a red common happens and magic reenters the world. At least that's what we're being told at this point. And things are moving. The winter is coming, uh, as the Starks will say. Right. And George does a fantastic job of introducing these elements and making us doubt, uh, and definitely making the characters in the story doubt as well. I will, I will say, I think one of the biggest magical moments, uh, other than just lady Stoneheart, which has, you know, comes at the end of this book is Renly being murdered by a shadow assassin. Yeah, I think yeah. that is wild. And then also one that kind of gets forgotten about though is a uh, Mance Raider and uh rattle shirt or whatever his name is. Whenever yeah, the they, glamour, the glamour that's, that's, that's man. Alessandra is legit. <laughs> she yeah. is part of two of the biggest magical moments. And I know there's plenty of other ones, folks. Um, I'm just naming some off the top of my head, but yeah, I mean, once Arya joins the faceless man, like that's obviously pretty big. Yeah, and um, honestly, I would actually say Dance with Dragons is the most magical book because you get all the brand stuff. You get Jojen paste. Yeah, I mean, we just killed a White Walker with a dragon class, though. That's pretty It's magical. tight. It's, I mean, children yeah. of the forest go <laughs> in book yeah, five. I mean, there's a yeah. lot. There's a lot. I do love how immediately, too, um, and of course, we totally glance over this line. But remember, you're, if you're reading this for the first time, so Lem Lemon Cloak immediately dreams what good are dreams fish woman and drowned crows i had a dream myself last night i was kissing the tavern wench i used to know you're gonna pay me for that so i love how immediately george has somebody who like we see so often with so many other things that that include magic which is the skeptics right oh grumpkins Mm -hmm. and snarks up there at the wall yes right dire wolves south you know that's you're just making that up krakens dragons whatever you know like but immediately he comes in with this line right here to like undercut it and say yeah whatever which is the general attitude in westeros at this point about magic and things of of that nature any of fantastical elements and we saw that like you said with the krakens whenever we just saw the uh the tywin small council scene and it plays into the entire theme of this massive threat in the north that's coming that nobody really wants to acknowledge and it's because magic's been dead for so long yeah i went i just arrives on this continent it is literally going to be whiplash for these people 
Right. I do. I just, I just love the way George words it here because immediately he, he shows us in this woman's prophecy. Cause here we are, we're jumping into this new chapter and like two, two pages in we're introduced to some woman and you know, some super old brand new character who now we you know, not know not more about her. And we're like, okay, she's pretty legit, but this old woman who's so old, she seems older than old Dan. So it's like, but the first thing she says is, I saw a shadow with a burning heart butchering a golden stag. So if you're a first-time reader, you're like, uh, well, I know what that is, right? Well, I but, hope they would catch it. Right, yeah. <laughs> but then she talks about things that haven't happened yet. So you'd be like, okay, I don't know what she's talking about. But so just narratively, this is it, this prophecy is also, like, I love to point out George's writing anytime I get the opportunity to, because we spend so much time talking about other things. It's great. Excellent. And then undercutting it. It's so good. Yeah, he he has a great idea of like what what the atmosphere is, not not just in scene setting, but I mean, like kind of the cultural atmosphere of people and what their beliefs are at this moment. And he plays a lot with disbelief and skepticism, uh, skepticism. I can't talk mm -hmm. anyways. Uh, he plays with that a lot and he plays it with it from our perspective as well. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really talented how he puts it all together. So just just a little bit before that, um, I want to talk about this this here too. So this high heart had been sacred to the children of the forest. Tom Seven Strings told her, and some of their magic lingered here still. No harm can come to those who sleep here, the singer said. Arya thought that this must this must be true. The hill was so high and the surrounding lands so flat that no enemy could approach unseen. The small folk hereabouts shunned the place, Tom told her. It was said to be haunted by the ghosts of the children of the forest who had died here when the Andal King named Eric the Kingslayer had cut down their grove. Arya knew about the children of the forest and about the Andals too, but ghosts did not frighten her. She used to hide in the crypts of Winterfell when she was little and play games of come into my castle and monsters and maidens amongst the stone kings on their thrones. Mm, the crypt once again mentioned in a fantastical chapter what could be happening down there i wonder something, something the crypts of winterfell are going to play some thing i you know they did tease it in season eight where like oh where like the skeleton maybe the skeletons are going to come out when they raised all the dead dead and, and everything like that and then maybe that could be something where it's like oh no now Arya is down there and she is scared or something but I think it's going to be more of like a secret or something that they uncover. And it's a, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah the crypts gonna are going to lead, gonna lead to something. Yeah. They're significant in the books. Yeah. Um, so the next morning, uh, the little white woman was nowhere to be seen. Uh, you know, the singer chuckled, saw her. Did you, was she a ghost? Do a ghost complain about how their joints creak? No, she's only an old dwarf woman, a queer one, though, and evil eyed. But she knows things she has no business of knowing. And sometimes she'll tell you if she likes the look of you. Did she like the looks of you? Ari asked doubtfully. The singer laughed. The sound of me, at least. She always makes me sing the same bloody song, though. Not a bad song, mind you, but I know others just as good. Um, you know, and then uh, they don't actually go into what like, you know, that what that song is currently. Um but uh, he does talk about like the fact that she's evil eyed and they, I love how they talk about when they're describing her, her eye color. Well, it's because of the trees and things like that might make it seem red because eye color is such an important thing in a song of ice and fire. Like with young Griff, are his eyes actually blue? You know, there's his eyes purple. 
it might be because of his hair causes us to look in a certain way. So I love how here as well, George is even like throwing people off of his own, you know, theories and things that he's obviously put in by putting that line in too, to cause us to be like, well, maybe it's not, maybe it is specifically just how we're looking at it. Yeah, absolutely. And you get it from all different perspectives as well. Uh, and a lot of times he, he kind of treats situations in these books, uh, not like a timeline where you go to point A to point B, but a spiral around the event, right? Like even the Red Wedding, think about it. Like when it happens, we see it from Arya's or from Catelyn's perspective, and then we see Arya. But then we hear people talk about in the later books, and it's never really like we'll, we'll hear about different points in different times is, is my uh, point that I'm trying to make. And I think that that leads to a really interesting way of thinking about events narratively, like in the actual story. Yeah. Yeah, agreed. Um, so the this chapter uh, it, it continues on to right. Um, so right after that, you know, do the do this this ghost sing or do the with the song and things like that. Um, Tom seven strings rolled his eyes at, uh, at that, but Harwin gave her an answer. I wouldn't called it. I wouldn't call it hiding my lady, but it's true. Lord Barrick moves about a lot and seldom lets on what his plans are the, that way. No one can betray him by now. There must be hundreds of us sworn to him, maybe thousands, but it wouldn't do us all to trail along behind him. We'd eat the country bear or get butchered in a battle by some bigger host. The way we're scattered in little bands, we can strike in a dozen places at once and be off somewhere else before they know. And when one of us is caught and put to the question, well, we can't tell them where to find Lord Barrick, no matter what they do to us. He hesitated. You know what that means to be put to question? You know, Arya noddle, nodded, tickling, they called it, Polliver and Raff and all. She Raff and all. She told them about the village by the God's eye where she and Gendry had been caught and the questions that the tickler had asked. So here is here she is too uh, in a chapter about prophecy, thinking about the tick, you know, that she was tickled and stuff like that. So this is also sort of a big kind of like character development moment chapter for Arya as well. Yeah, it definitely is. And, and we see her kind of go through frustration, but like other things as well. And then the realization that other people are hurting by the end of it. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, then it goes on a little bit here. No child should be made to suffer like that. Um, you know, Harwin said when she was done talking about it, the mountain lost half his men at the stone mill. We hear might be this ticklers floating down the red fork. Even now with the fish biting at his face, if not, well, it's one more crime they'll answer for. I've heard the Lord. I've heard his Lordship say this war began when the hand set him out to bring the King's justice to Gregor again. And that's how he means for it to end. Yeah, he gave her a reassuring pat. You best mount up, my lady. Hmm. Yeah, this is this is uh this is big. this is Arya talking about this, thinking about getting justice, and we also, you know, it's crazy because it, it's the irony that she doesn't know about what she just heard the ghost of Highheart talk about is going to push her even you know further down that path yes and you can kind of start to see uh aria's plans of getting to her mother like especially if you look at the prophecy none of that is going to come to fruition like she's on such a different path and it's obvious to us now on a reread yeah you know what else is in, is interesting is looking back at this too is in this in the just sort of the poeticness of this here 
um, <laughs> it's kind of crazy is the fact that it's a, it's specifically a faceless man before is described a, a man without a face on a bridge yeah. is, is described before her mother's death, because in a way, she, as we talked about, she is on that. That's the, she's on the faceless man path already having met with, um, uh, how am I blanking on his, his his name right now? Uh, God, the faceless man, Jack and Jagar. Oh, Jack and Hagar. Yeah, Jack and Hagar. She met with him, you know, obviously in a clash of kings. But interesting too that that is the route we see it. That George writes that too in this chapter about Arya. Yeah, is that just and... a hint. Is that is that you know if you're reading this for the first time, is that like oh he's like he knows the path she's going. Is that a hint too that he puts that specifically before it? Possibly. I think I think that that could definitely lend itself to that speculation. Another thing is just the fact that this tells us that the faceless men are involved in world politics and removing kings. I mean, even though it's a kind of a, a D tier king, right? In Balon, yeah. the, the faceless men are, are moving and being used. And then we end up seeing them also in the Citadel in the next book. And also they're tied to the Doom of Valyria. It's just like little things, little sprinkles, just a little line of a mentioned of a man with no face. Yeah. And here we come up too. So right after think about this, right after they, they get about the, that where she's finishing talking about the, the tickling and says, it's a long day's ride. So then it gets through it. Um, and guy often rode beside her. He was closer to her in age than any of them, but Genry. And he told her droll tales of the Dornis marches. He never fooled her though. He's not my friend. He's only staying close to watch me and I'll make sure and make sure I don't ride off again. Well, Arya could watch as well. Sirio Pharrell had taught her how. Hmm. And this is a theme we've been seeing in Arya and, and this whole this whole book is every chapter. It feels like we get a little mention of Sirio and then a mention of Jacken and or like something to do with faceless man. And you can see her being pulled or like, you know, the last one. Where is it? Are you Ari, Arya? You know, Ari, Arya, like her identity is just so so like being pulled in many directions in this in this book and the people who have impacted her life the most i mean let's remember she's in a very formative years of her life and J jack and hagar and cyril farrell in some ways saved her life yeah yeah it, right after right after that too here lady smallwood welcomed the outlaws kindly enough though she gave them a tongue lashing for dragging a young girl through the war she became even more wroth when lem let it slip that aria was highborn who dressed the poor child in those Bolton rags, she demanded of them. That badge. There's many a man who would hang her in half a heartbeat for wearing a flayed man on her breast. Arya promptly found herself, marched upstairs, forced into a tub, and doused with scalding hot water. Lady Smallwood's maidservant scrubbed her you know, so hard it felt like they were flaying her themselves. They even dumped in some stinky sweet stuff that smelled like flowers. Afterwards, they insisted she dress herself in girly things, brown woolen stockings and a light linen sh uh, shift. And over the light green gown was acorns embroidered with all of the bodice and brown thread. You know, just sort of continues on here as she's, uh, you know, doing all this stuff. Then right after that, too, when Arya is like done, 
you know, talking about needlework. Arya says, well, that's not the way I do it. No, I've always found it so. The gods give each of us our little gifts and talents, and it is meant for us to use them, my aunt always says. Any act can be a prayer if done as well as we are able. Isn't that a lovely thought? Remember that the next time you do your needlework. Do you work at it every day? I did till I lost my needle. My new one's not as good. Uh, in times like these, mm -hmm. we must all make do the best we can. And then she says, you know, I'm not a lady. You know, she says, now you look like a proper lady. I'm not a lady, Arya wanted to tell her. I'm a wolf. And then she says, I do not know who you are, child, the woman said. And maybe that's for the best. Dang. I know. There we go again, too. Then yeah. it's like it's like almost like being back in Winterfell where she's forced to be like a lady. And then, you know, talking about their talents and how everyone can use them. Like, again, that it's still such a big theme in this thing with it. You know, so Arya's like, I'm a wolf. But earlier you're talking about Syria. And then we had the little hinting of the faceless men. And now you're talking about needlework, your kind of needlework. Yeah, her entire that, identity is is the theme of, of her character arc. And that might be the best line. I've, I'm going to have to highlight that because that might be the best line about Arya, period. It's really That'll great. Be the, I do not know who you are, child, the woman says, and maybe that's for the best. That might that is like that you could you could sum up Arya's entire character arc with that with that maybe line. that's the new episode title for this one. That'll <laughs> definitely be the episode title for this one. Yeah. Yeah. I think that sums it up. And also, you know, this is a patriarchal society, and Arya is not prototypical, which we have seen with Lyanna Stark. Uh, and, and some of the other female characters in the book. And I think that this is something that George is not just only doing with Arya, but other main POVs in the series too. Uh, Brienne, obviously. And uh, I, I think George does a pretty, pretty good job uh, of, of going into this. And that's part of the identity crisis in which uh, Arya is faced with. Yeah. So this chapter kind of continues on a little bit here too. Um, and they talk a little about Thoros, and they talk about his like flaming sword. Arya says, I wish I had a flaming sword. Arya could think of a lot of people she'd like to set on fire. <laughs> Fair. Yeah. I can think of a lot of people I'd like to set on fire. <laughs> but, also, but also, I wish I had a flaming sword. The idea of Lightbringer, right? Um, Ooh, I like it. All right. Uh, so th there you go. Um, it's only a trick, I told you. The wildfire runs on steel. My maester sold Thoros a new sword after every tourney. Um, you know, and then Gendry's there and they're um, talking. Um, you can still make all the swords if you want, Arya said. You can make them for my brother Rob when we get to River Run. River Run, Gendry put the hammer down and looked at her. You look different now, like a proper little girl. I look like an oak tree with all these stupid acorns. Nice, though, a nice oak tree. He steps close and sniffs her. You even smell nice for a change. <laughs> you don't. You stink. Arya shoves him back against the anvil and made uh, and made to run. But Gendry caught her arm. She stuck a foot between his legs and tripped him. But he yanked her down with him, and they rolled across the floor of you know the smithery. Uh, he was very strong, but she was quicker. Every time he tried to hold her, she wiggled free and punched him. Gendry only laughed at the blows, which made her mad. He finally caught both her wrist in on one hand and it started to tickle her with the other so Arya slammed her knee between his legs and wrenched free both of them covered in dirt and one sleeve was torn on this her stupid acorn dress i bet i don't look so nice now she shouted uh then they go back again like just like the word tickle because it's she was talking about like the tickler earlier you know like being tortured um so tom is singing my 
Featherbed is deep and soft, and there I'll lay you down. I'll dress you all in yellow silk, and a head and your head, and on your head a crown. For you shall be my lady love, and I shall be your lord. I'll always keep you warm and safe, and guard you with my sword. So you know, I mean, hey, yellow is the color of the stag. That is true. A yellow dress for. Arya, who could marry into the house of the stag by marrying Je- uh, Gendry. My God, Gendry, I love it, dude. I love it. See, and, and this is kind of fun to go down, you know. And we know that words matter. Uh, you know, words are not just win when George writes them in the books, at least. And no, every word matters. Yeah, and this is one of those chapters. It might just be pouring with with um, foreshadowing. Yeah, absolutely. So. Tom starts to sing again a little bit uh, and how she smiled and how she laughed. The maiden of the tree, she spun away and said to him, no feather bed for me. I'll wear a gown of golden leaves and bind my hair with grass, but you can't be my forest love. And, uh, but you can be my forest love and me, your forest lass. Mm. And we know anytime a song appears, it has very significant meaning to it. Yes. Every time there's been a song, um, I feel like we can go back to it and point out things about it. You know, it's weird yeah. to me, though. Think about this. There, there might be something in that we've read. Actually, no, let me take that back. There's 100 percent something <laughs> that we've read, even in this chapter, that George is intending to pay off in books six and seven. That's the crazy thing. Yeah. And so the, so the way the song finishes, too, right? She's saying, like, I'll wear a gown of golden leaves, but, you know, like, I'm not, you know, um, where does it say? Like, uh, that's one of the, no, no feather bed for me. Aria. Yep. Nope. Not going to do that. Yeah. I mean, and, and, I mean, are Gendry and Arya going to get together? Like, I mean, maybe do you think they will? Like we saw in season in season eight. I mean, I'm not saying it's going to go down the same way it did in season eight. But do you think that they will end up like some either together? Yeah, yeah I, I actually could see it. I, I could. I, I think that Arya is going to get a happy ending, um, mainly because it's George's wife's favorite character. And he promised that he wouldn't do anything too terrible to her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I feel like that could happen. But who knows? It's it's really hard to say because Arya is so much younger in the books. Like, right. You know, he even had a, a George had a thing where he when he kicked out maybe the five year grab. Maybe it was yeah. So 13, 14 year olds might just have to save the world, so be it. Uh, yeah, because I think originally the, the plan was John and Aria were gonna get together. That was in the original and like the original original as outline, awful yeah. as that is. <laughs> well, who know? I mean the way the, the, it would have been a totally different series. Yeah, I, I don't know if I would have loved that. I don't know. She was like seven. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Right. I'm out. I'm, I'm kind of out. I'm glad he did. I'm glad he's going away from it. Um, Gendry's Gendry's not like 18, though. In like he's he looks. No, 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 no. Yeah. Gendry's fine. Jon Snow and Arya getting to and Arya. Yes, I'm out. Yeah. I don't want to see it and we won't. But yeah. I, so Gendry, say, though, might not end up being like Storm Lord of Storm's End like he was at the end of the show because of like somebody like Edric Storm, like Edric Storm might get that. And so Gendry and Arya might literally go off together anyway and i know people didn't like the ending with like what's west of westeros but the fact that nymeria was her wolf and then she is kind of a nymeria character in this age i mean not exactly but like she has some characteristics of nymeria from Ten Thousand ships 
and the idea of a voyage elsewhere and going west is actually kind of cool. I know everyone crapped on it, but I didn't actually have a problem with that ending for Arya. Arya's ending? No, I think I think it's probably going to be pretty similar. The only thing I've often thought of would be a, and that's by the way, that is sort of the the thing. This is her dress is ruined, and then Lady uh, Smallwood gives her boy clothes. Um, you know, yes, child, and you're. And so you are be brave is, is what she, is what she tells her, Dang. Um, which in a way is sort of like a full circle, again, identity thing for Aria here. Now she's finally in what she feels comfortable in. But the ending I've often thought that would be cool for Aria, uh, and I, I think I've told you about this before, is I sort of like the idea, and I don't think George is going to do it, of... Arya ending up like say marrying Gendry who does become like Lord of Storm's end or something mm -hmm. and Sansa being the one who gets to like go do whatever she wants because yeah. like because the whole deal is it's like Arya doesn't want to be a lady and Sansa wants to be a lady and you flip it, but it you flip it because Sansa's entire arc has been spent being like trying to play the Game of Thrones and real and at the end she could be like this is like awful and I want to break free of that and mm -hmm. then aria kind of does the opposite where aria wants to be you know not a lady and she spends her whole life doing it and then she might at the end be like uh, you know maybe i'm ready for something like and so i it's it's it, it i would only it only works if they both go in that opposite direction but i think it'd be i mean i'm not saying it's going to happen maybe gendry I, ends up on the iron throne i don't know well he is robert, robert baratheon's hey, son you know but That's I just, I think it'd be, I, mean, I think, yeah. And then she's queen. I think it'd be kind of a, a, a cool way to do it. I, cause just cause I would love the idea of Sans at the end, you know, I mean, if she does become queen, maybe she marries young Griff or who knows, or she does become like a queen of the North, like we saw in the show. But I, I still kind of like the idea of Sansa being like, yeah, I'm out. I, know, I think on, that. I think the, that would be an thing. interesting way to take it. Yeah, I think it'd be an interesting way to take it. Here's what here's a hot take. I don't know if Sansa makes it to the end of the series. You think she's gonna die? I think I don't think she's safe. Oh, I don't know. I oof. I think the show crowds that judgment. I I think <sighs> there's room for her to be terminated. I see, I don't, man. I just it's hard. It's it's her. It's hard because her arc is very. She's different. like one of the of all of the characters, actually, of all of like the main POV characters. Their arcs in the show does sort of follow like a pro, a trajectory of like where they're where the where the books end to where we project them to go. Like it makes sense. Sans is his by far the most different of any of the characters. Her arc is infinitely the most different because all this, all of her big moments in the show are done by completely, totally different characters. Mm -hmm. Yes, for sure. Cause all the, cause she's not going to, we know she's not going to meet Ramsey. Well, I mean, she could meet him, but the, the whole Ramsey marrying her and everything, that was a totally different character and the escaping totally different character. So she's like the wild card. Yeah, I'm trying to think if there would be anyone that would be like drastically different POV wise. And I, I, I think that that probably like actual POV in the book 
hers might be the most different. I also think that just all the stuff in the veil is is really interesting, and it was pretty much left out for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. So. Ah, uh, interesting, interesting. Anything else on this chapter, Jimmy? No, I don't think so. I think that uh, that about wraps up. It, you know, it's one of those, it's a very important chapter to the story, and it has a lot of meat to it. But uh, it, it's kind of you know you're in, you're out with Aria, and it's about ten pages. And then look at all the things you get to talk about with it. So it's a it's a good chapter, and uh, I love Ghost of High Heart. Yeah. So, all right, guys. Well, with that, we want to thank you for playing the Game of Thrones. In our next episode, we will be discussing a Storm of Swords, Daenerys 2. Been a while since we've seen Daenerys, but uh, also kind of a little bit of a mystical chapter going on there. Yeah, definitely. And I'm looking forward to being back with old Danny over in Essos. If you like our podcast, don't forget to subscribe, like us, write a review, leave us a comment, or send us a raven at btcast at gmail.com or bendthenepodcast.com. We'll see you next time. And remember that winter is coming.